Bonjour, je suis Nicolas de Montréal. La palo-diffusion de Sound of Young America est une production indépendante financée par les contributions d'auditeurs comme vous et moi. Si vous désirez faire un don afin de supporter l'émission, allez au site MaximumFun.org et cliquez sur Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Well, we're in the midst of a horrible economic downturn that has taken its toll on New York's theatrical community. Basically, every show has closed at this point, but one show just got extended. Uh, <laughs> our guest, Mike Berbiglia, comedian Mike Berbiglia, has been a guest on the show to discuss his stand-up comedy in the past, but sure. his First ever solo theatrical performance, Sleepwalk With Me, just got extended at the Bleecker Street Theater. Uh, Mike, welcome back to The Sound of Young America. Thanks a lot. It's I, fun to be back in, the, uh, in your house. Which, we, were, we were discussing, people don't believe that I record this program in my it's house. It's fascinating. I, I'll, sometimes I'll tell people that uh, I did you know, Jesse Thorne's Sound of Young America show, and you know, it's in, his, uh, it's in his, his house in Los Angeles. And, and they go, oh, right, no, no, no. But it, but it's not, you know. And I was like, no, no, it, but it is. And they're like, no, no, but yeah, but you know, it's not. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it actually, it's it, it is shocking, but it it is, and you have a great place here. People are. Sh Thank you. That's kind of you to say. It is shocking. I think that's the the adjective that best the best appropriately uh, describes the situation. Shocking. Yeah. Stunning. How about that one? Yeah, it's stunning. I just can't afford a real studio. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so, Mike. Uh, so people should give. Give uh, donate to the, yeah. to the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. Um, you're uh, you're a stand-up comic. Your stand-up comedy style has moved more and more toward the narrative over the years. When did you decide that an actual, quote unquote, legitimate theater was the right venue for it? I I had wanted to put it in a, a legitimate theater uh, scenario for. Probably about four years. I mean, since the conception of the idea, um, I I'd had this idea of writing a one-man romantic comedy, and the the device of the 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 that expresses the character's subconscious is his sleepwalking because I suffered from sleepwalking, and it was this you know sem autobiographical at the time semi autobiographical piece, and then along the way. I actually jumped out a window in my sleep. <laughs> I <laughs> I had a death defying incident. This is not a incident. complex metaphor here. Yeah. So while I was developing this show, I jumped out a second story window in my sleep. It's actually a it's a piece that 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 Ira Glass played on uh, This American Life on the Fear of Sleep episode and I remember saying to my director, Seth Barish, who's a brilliant theater director in, in New York, I, I explained to him what, what had happened where I jumped through the window. And he goes, well, that's your show right there. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And so I actually, um, I ended up rewriting the show 
so that it's simultaneously this this kind of failed romantic comedy story and the story of me not dealing with my sleepwalking disorder. So there's these two stories, and both of them thematically are about denial and the degree to which we'll go to not deal with our issues. Like, you know, because I remember I would have these sleepwalking episodes for years, and I would think maybe I should see a doctor, and then I thought maybe I'll eat dinner. <laughs> and I just, I never, I, I went with dinner for years. And it was a similar thing in that relationship with my ex-girlfriend where I would, I knew that I wasn't ready to get married. And I knew she wanted to get married. I couldn't say it. You know, I think maybe I should break up with Abby. And then I thought maybe I'll eat dinner. And I just went with dinner for years. And it's, it's something that resonates with a lot of people. Actually, it, it's, sometimes it's too close to home. Like I'll see couples in the audience in New York at, at the show in uh, in the Bleecker Street Theater and they'll, they'll these kind of younger couples and it's almost like they're like oh god we went to the wrong show like we should have gone to I love you you're perfect now change <laughs> because you should have seen Defending the Caveman it's really too close to home uh, in some ways but actually for the, I, I think it's actually very ultimately very positive as a show because it's it's basically saying, you know, we should all come out with our um, with our deepest uh, feelings and thoughts with our significant other. When did you when did you first uh, start having sleepwalking episodes? When I was in college, um, I, and I talk about this in the show is is that I would I would have this I started having this recurring dream that there was like a hovering insect like jackal in my bedroom and I would jump on our bed. Which is one of the most fearsome types of jackals. Well, yeah, I, I think it's actually the most the most because a jackal <laughs> that defies gravity is is unstoppable. Also has certain insect like qualities. Well, yeah, and and the and it was indescribable kind of. Because uh, these fake animals that our brains invent, they're much scarier than actual <laughs> animals. When you say our brains, Mike, I don't think <laughs> <laughs> it's not a common thing. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's possible. I can't say that my You're, brain spends a lot of time inventing fake you, animals. You are the most judgmental public radio host <laughs> I've encountered. Most, You're judging me. You're accusing me of inventing terrifying uh, yeah, animals. Sure, I'm being inclusive. <laughs> Sleepwalk with me. Um, no, but uh, it, it was this terrifying image. It was like this bloated tick with uh, with ferocious teeth and 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 teen in fur and and teeny arms, which are the scariest oh. kind because they're unpredictable. <laughs> and I would I, I, I would actually um, I would I would jump on our bed. And I would strike a karate <laughs> pose, and I would say, "Abby, I was my girlfriend. There's a jackal in the room." She got so used to it that she could talk me down while remaining asleep. She'd be like, "There's no jackal. Please go to bed." And I'd say, "Are you sure?" She'd say, "Yes, Michael. There's no jackal. Please go to bed." And I would say, "Okay." And I would go to bed knowing there was a jackal right there, and um, that's trust. Yeah, that, that's you know, it's tight. That's tight. So at that point, you know, I was like, you know, there's that, you know, I had a few, that was in college. I had a, a, another incident when I moved to New York where I had a dream I was in the Olympics for some kind of arbitrary event like dust bustering. They told me I got third place instead of on the third place podium. I, I actually think it's important to point out with this dream that that even in my dreams, I don't win. Okay. I'm yeah. in third place. Yeah. In my wildest dreams, I place. Yeah. 
And they say, actually, you got second place. I move over to the second place podium and it starts wobbling. And I wake up and I'm falling off the top of our four and a half foot bookcase in our living room. And I land on the floor on top of our TiVo and it breaks into pieces. And it was like one of these stories you hear where people black out drinking. They wake up in Idaho. They don't know where they are. It's just like, oh, no, Hardee's, you know, but... It was in my own living room, and it was just like, ah, TiVo pieces. And I went to bed, and Abby woke me up in the morning, and she said, Michael, what happened to the TiVo? I said, I got second place, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> and uh, and I still didn't see a doctor. I mean, that's what's so insane is that I and I have, I have many more stories like that. I was, you know, because sleepwalking is a whole can of worms. You know, the, the laundry list of fun brain diseases is actually very short you know sleepwalking involves the brain and i just didn't want to deal with it why why do you think you didn't want to deal with it it's i mean it's terrifying sleepwalking is a terrifying phenomenon because it's where your body makes a decision that is distinctly different from your conscious mind your conscious mind is like we're gonna rest for a few hours and your body's like we're going skiing that's crazy. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's a control thing in some ways. I think by going to a doctor, you're saying, you know, it's not, things aren't all in my control. Was it scary? To have Seeing a doctor or, no, or to, jumping to, through the window and all yeah, that kind of stuff? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, did you feel, or before, before you even jumped through the window, I can't imagine that wasn't scary. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But before you had even that jumped in not, the window... That was not a Chekhovian moment. When you found out that you were doing, uh, that you were, you know, doing karate in your bed yeah. without your control, was it scary? It, it was not... It was not that scary until uh, I, I fell off the bookcase... That was the first time where I was like, all right, this seems dangerous. You know, you just, there's just some part of you that, I mean, not everybody, but I, at least with me, where you just, you hope it goes away. Like, ah, I hope that goes away. But it didn't. And it got worse. Did you have any kind of feeling for uh, what was what the source of it was when before you went to the doctor did you feel like there were you know was it was it different when it was happening well i i I remember reading i bought a book called the promise of sleep which i highly recommend it was written by a guy named dr dement which is a very (laughs) unfortunate name for a man trying to instill calm i feel like he might have opted for a pseudonym like dr happy sleep or Dr. Chamomile Tea. Uh, frankly, it's probably a better name for someone playing novelty records on the radio. Of uh, Certainly. Dr. Yeah. Demento. Uh, but it was... I, I tried to track him down, actually, because I, I, I talk about him a bit in my show. He's a Stanford uh, uh, doctor uh, up where you used to live. And uh, he never got back to me. You'd think. Hard to get in touch with celebrity doctors. Sure. He's a bit of a, of a of a medical mogul. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I'm reading in his book uh, about a few basic tips for healthier sleep. And they all have to do with kind of dialing down before a few hours before bed, turning off the news and the Internet and your phone and don't eat big meals, which just so happen to be my four favorite things to do before bed. Well, I mean, you're a stand up comedian, someone whose job is literally to dial it up before bed. That's yeah, precisely. And so I I stopped doing those things for a while. 
but then eventually I slipped back in to, you know, you're on the road and, you know, the, the, the incident in question in Walla Walla, it, it happened, I was at La Quinta Inn. Some people correct me. They said, no, it was La Quinta. And I'm like, that's not fair. You can't force me to speak Spanish. And, but, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and guess that in Walla Walla, Washington, it's La Quinta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, I had my, I remember when it happened, I had my laptop open in my bed and I was eating a pizza <laughs> and I was watching the news. I was doing all of these things that the book tells you not to do. Sure enough, you know, that the, that incident occurred and, um, and yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it, my, my lifestyle is not very, uh, 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 helpful my my uh <laughs> my lifestyle my my career i should say of being a touring comedian that's why interestingly that doing an off-broadway show has been very good for me in terms of my health i've stayed in the same bed every night i have regular sleeping habits which is very important with sleep disorders that you go to bed and wake up at the same time every day so you were uh in a dream fight Left, left through <laughs> again this judgmental tone no I, I, I no judgment is implied it, uh it's a it's a really remarkable occurrence you leapt through a plate ga- glass window yeah. ran around the yard of this laquinta inn for a while Mul- in m- multi-layered glass incidentally i took photos of it afterwards i think there were three panes of glass wow yeah um or, or hurt yourself kind of bad yeah and that, and actually Interestingly, the uh, props to the uh, set designer who did our show. He the the whole set is uh, plexiglass, and in the back of the set, there's um, a, a human being size uh, hole that's crashed through. And at the beginning of the show, I enter through that hole. Sort of like when a when a guy that's too big walks through a door frame in a cartoon. <laughs> yes, not unlike that. So when this uh, incident occurred, I presume you went to see a doctor at the time for the immediate physical trauma. I went to the emergency room. And it's a very difficult thing to explain when one has jumped through a window. Yeah. I was like, like, you know the Hulk? (laughs) The Incredible Hulk? You know how he just kind of jumps through stuff? I'm not making this up. Like, I literally said this. That's what it was like. I jumped through a window... I had to go to the emergency room. I, was, I had to explain it. Emergency room, you always have to explain things three times. The receptionist, the nurse, the doctor. You know, right. I was like, I'm the Hulk. I'm the Hulk. I'm the Hulk. One of the guys goes, well, no, you'd be Bruce Banner. I was like, point taken, <laughs> nerd. But uh, no, and I, I remember I was, I was getting the stitches put into my legs. The doctor had to take glass out of my legs and then put stitches in. He put 33 stitches in my legs, and he said, you know, you should be dead. And I said, no, you should. I zinged him because I'm a comedian. Yeah. And, uh, take that. No, it was, uh, he deserved it though for taking the glass out of your leg. He was a bit shocked, but it's interesting. Emergency room doctors, they've seen a lot. So there's not much you can say to them where, where they go. <laughs> really? Uh, cause that's actually when I tell my stories on, in the show, that's the response I get very commonly. Like, was that true? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, was it? And I don't know how to respond to that. I could, I could say it louder, I suppose. Like, yeah. They'd be like, it's probably true. We said it louder. Now, jumping through a window 
I mean, on the subject of uh, scary and being scared, jumping through a window in the manner of uh, Bruce Banner, the Hulk's scientist alter ego, is a significant step up in scariness from jumping off of a four-foot podium slash Ikea bookshelf. Yeah. How did that affect you, doing something that was so extreme? It was very distancing as an experience, very alienating. I had to start staying on the first floor of hotels when I would perform around the country. So I, you know, I'd perform at a college, and my agent would call ahead, and he would say, Mike has to stay on the first floor. And inevitably, they'd ask why. At the time, I wasn't talking about it. You know, it was private. And uh, he'd cover for me. He'd be like, because that's what Mike Birbiglia wants. <laughs> <laughs> I'd show up at these places and the people would kind of hate me a little bit, you know, before we met. Did he also, like, come up with a few other arbitrary demands to cover, like, to throw people <laughs> yeah, off that, the scent? I don't think, I don't think that that, I think that's a very smart idea. I don't think that that happened, but, uh... You want a bowl of black jelly beans? Yeah, yeah. He'd, like, uh, he'd, like, uh, Perrier, but with the cap taken off for about ten hours So beforehand. it goes kind of flat. Yeah, and, uh, no, but it, it was distancing because I... I had this kind of secret that people didn't understand, and it was uh, I just started to feel the slightest distance between me and everyone that I met, and, and that was actually, you know, I talk about that in the show, and I talk about, you know, that that was a lot of the reason why I did the show, why I framed it in that way, is that the show ultimately becomes about telling these stories that are the most vulnerable and are the most personal and embarrassing and how that how freeing that can be. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. We'll talk more with comedian Mike Berbiglia in just a minute when we come back. Production of the Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. Maximum Fun is coming to San Francisco in January. You can catch The Sound of Young America live as part of SF Sketchfest at Cobb's Comedy Club on January 23rd, with special guests including the Casper Hauser Comedy Group and Sean Cullen. As if that wasn't enough, you can catch the Monsters of Podcasting, that's Jordan Jesse Go, and you look nice today, that very same weekend at the Eureka Theater. They're just two of the dozens of amazing shows at this year's SF Sketchfest including the Upright Citizens Brigade, The State, and our podcasting pals Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap with Never Not Funny Live. Get your tickets now at sfsketchfest.com. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Let's get back to my conversation with comedian and now solo theater performer Mike Berbiglia. His new show, Sleepwalk With Me, just got extended at the Bleecker Street Theater in New York City. Besides putting together this show, was there something that sort of led you out into the open about uh, uh, about this condition? Something that led you from, you know, having an agent making excuses <laughs> for you and yeah. going through other kind of complicated things to go into a doctor and being and eventually sort of being public about it? It's interesting. I I think that my director... Seth was very uh, helpful in kind of getting me to a place where I was comfortable talking about it because the show is very personal. Like, I'm telling people it's full disclosure on my life and what happened to me. 
And in your romantic life as well. In my romantic life and in my relationship with my parents and my relationship with my medical issues. I have some other medical issues I talk about. And and it's funny. I should point that out. Yeah. It's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I could... It's been very well received by by the press and everybody. What's funny is is actually it's it's a lot of the reviews are you know are like you know regarded as kind of a light comedy, but to to yeah. me it's a very extreme comedy. <laughs> I was about to say when you when you remarked about it being funny, and in, in fact you've received I would what I would characterize as rave reviews. I was just reading the Times review. Which was pretty ecstatic, um, and, and, and that reviewer Neil came to the show again the other night just for fun. Yeah, there you go. It's wild. And the uh, and the the worst criticism I've read in the reviews is too funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, these theater people they find it distasteful. Well, we were assuming we were going to get panned. Uh, we were bracing ourselves for the classic comedian who crosses over into theater review which is it's funny but yeah you know but it, it, but they actually said it's funny but it, it it holds up as a piece and i credit that a lot to seth my director and eli my producer and and, and nathan lane who's one of the producers and and uh and people around me who who understand theater better than i do i mean i have some understanding of it i studied dramatic writing in in school but you know the people. I, I I think the people around me are are more proficient. What did you have to learn? Well, the biggest thing that Seth would urge me to do was stay focused on on the story, and not worry about this joke or that joke. I mean, I think actually a lot of great jokes ended up on the cutting room floor because he was like, you know, that does just that does not contribute to the to the arc. It was painful for me because I would, some of these jokes, as a comedian, you you are, have a love for jokes. So you're like, if you have a joke, and it's it, you're like, this is gonna be great. Jokes are hard to get. Too. Jokes are hard to get. They're hard to write. And so I had to let go of some things, you know. And my brother Joe, who who wrote a lot of this, uh, a lot of lines in the show, as well you know had to give up that idea as well of like ooh you're getting rid of that joke that joke's good I'm like yeah you know but Seth's point overarching point was you know people go to comedy concerts like like yours when you're touring to hear what you have to say that's funny and people go to theater to hear what you have to say and that was a big lesson that I had to take in and he's he's right. You know, a lot of these theater goers, they'll come, and a lot of times, they don't even laugh at a lot of stuff. And at the end of the show, they'll stand up. And I'm during the show, I'm thinking that this is going terribly. And at the end, the, sometimes those are the best crowds, and I, I'll literally because I'll, I'll go into the lobby sometimes and, and, and shake hands with folks and and sign stuff for people and like. I'll have a show like that, and people will go, well, we loved it. And I go, well, you guys should have laughed. <laughs> he didn't laugh that much. And they will say, well, I was trying to listen to what you were going to say next. Which, God, I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I could have waited for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you ne you've, I've, ne I've never witnessed that in a comedy concert or a comedy club. Do you feel 
more comfortable opening yourself up almost 100% on, uh, in month three than you did in, in night one? Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's like I'm under anesthesia. I don't even, I don't even realize that I, I've basically, I've taken the truth serum. I've, I've, I've eaten the horse tranks and I don't realize what I'm saying. And, uh, yeah. a, that could be a possible tagline for your show. I've eaten the horse tranks. Mike <laughs> <laughs> has eaten the horse tranks. <laughs> and, and it's you hilarious. will too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's been a, a, a little bit illuminating to have people who I know very well come to the show and their response to the show is actually not as positive and effusive as strangers because I think it's a little too close to the bone to kind of hear one of your good friends or family members stories so plainly told to all these strangers well, Mike, thank you so much for, for taking the time to come back and be on the Sound of Young America. It's, thank you It's very always much. really great to have you. Thank you. Mike Birbiglia's show Sleepwalk With Me is running at the Bleecker Street Theater in New York City. Uh, you can find more information on the website, sleepwalkwithmike. S- a seven a week, by dot the way. Com. Seven a week. Yeah. yeah. Can you believe that? Knocking them out. Yeah. Home run every time is probably, that's what I'm guessing. <laughs> Home run derby. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, anyway, thanks again, Mike. Thank you. It was fun. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. The show edited by Nick White. Oh, our new intern is Brian Fernandez. We'll see you online at MaximumFun.org. And next time, right here on the Sound of Young America.